Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Barry Motives. Thanks for joining us today. Have I got an episode for you? I'm looking forward to it. Do you know all the time how we always talk about, because we study so many cases, we might actually be good at pulling one off? Yeah, it's a little scary, but it's true. I think a lot of true crime fans are like, I could do that better. Better? <laughs> yes, no? Do you mean like in the cover up and the whole execution of it? Yeah. It's true. As researchers, we know how to make a body sink and not float. And what's the best way to bury them without being detected? All of those things. Right. And do you think that police sometimes get that same feeling? That they could do it better? Yes. Like a Dexter thing? Uh-huh. Oh, probably. I think it would just be a natural evolution of their job. Maybe not so much that, oh, I could do it better, but like, you are so stupid. You're such a dumb dirtbag. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Let's go with that, Melissa. <laughs> you don't want incriminating evidence recorded against you one day. <laughs> that's right. But you would think, why did they just not do this instead? Oh, for sure. Right? Sometimes we look at a case and it's pretty blatantly obvious what they should have done if they weren't wanting to get caught. I was having similar thoughts about all of that while I researched this case. So the dirtbag's dumb actions help them get caught? No. Oh, what? So then why are they dumb actions? They're not dumb actions. Oh. Okay, you have me really intrigued. Well, I'm going to start with a missing person. Okay. On September 10th, 2017, Cassandra Waller called the Pensacola, Florida police station to report her girlfriend Taylor missing. Taylor Ashley Wright was 33 years old, and she was just restarting her life after a messy divorce with her husband, Jeff. The two had been in a bitter custody battle over their son, and Taylor was struggling to start a whole new kind of lifestyle and redefine herself after a 10-year marriage to a man she claimed was abusive and controlling. Taylor had had a rough childhood, but as a teenager, found her forever home with her adoptive mom, Nancy Merchinson, and gradually turned her rebellious ways productive. She became a police officer with the Jacksonville Police Department, and in 2017, had recently ventured out on her own, working as a private investigator. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Have I piqued your interest with our former conversation? Yes, because she's a police officer. <laughs> That's and you right. were wondering if police officers have the same thoughts. She had recently moved back to the Pensacola area when her divorce was finalized and she had lost custody of her son. Initially, police were not too concerned about Taylor's disappearance as they listened to Cassandra's story. Taylor had left on the morning of Friday, September 8th, to run some errands. The plan was to pick up some money out of a safety deposit box at the bank with her friend Ashley, and then finish moving some of her belongings. That morning, when she left, Taylor had been stressed over the custody battle and the upcoming court hearing that she had to attend. Shortly before noon, she had stopped texting Cassandra, and then later that night, she had missed the couple's dinner plans. Cassandra told police that she had contacted Taylor's friend Ashley on two different occasions on the 8th, trying to get a hold of Taylor, after she had stopped answering texts at 11.20. The first time, Ashley confirmed that Taylor was upset, 
the two had gone horseback riding and Taylor wasn't near enough to come to the phone. Later, Ashley would say that when they returned to her house, Taylor, still upset, had called an Uber and left without saying where she was going specifically, just that she was going to go get a beer. When Cassandra finally received a text message from Taylor around 8 p.m. that night, it simply said, quote, I'll call you later. I'm not angry with you. I should have called. But I just need to think. I'm trying to get my life organized and on track. To the police, the story didn't sound that suspicious. Cassandra's story and the text message that Taylor had sent seemed like Taylor had just taken off on her own. Some even surmise that perhaps Taylor, who was upset over losing custody of her son, was actually preparing to kidnap the boy and flee. Oh, I can see how someone might jump to that conclusion. Right. She was really upset over not having custody. And that's got to be such a hard thing to face and go through that maybe she just wanted to be alone. Maybe she just needed some time to process it. It was a super stressful time in Taylor's life. Police told Cassandra to reach out to Taylor's ex, Jeff, to see if he or their son had heard from her, which Cassandra did. So this is the now girlfriend of Taylor contacting her ex-husband. That's right. Okay. Jeff confirmed that neither he or their son had heard from Taylor since the 8th. But he was of the same opinion as the police, that Taylor had taken off on her own accord. Jeff even provided a reason why Taylor might have taken off and not wanted to be found. Taylor had taken $100,000 from the couple's joint account that was supposed to be for their son's child support. Holy cow! I'm almost more fascinated that someone has $100,000 sitting in their bank account. It's true. That's not a little bit of money. No. And she had wiped it out. She had wiped it out completely. Okay. So he's thinking that she's taken off with the money. Oh yeah, he'd be upset at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Taylor had been ordered by a judge to return the money or face jail time. The deadline for returning the money had been September 9th. As of the 8th, all of the money hadn't been returned. The couple was supposed to have returned to court on the 7th, but Ashley had asked for an extension until the 12th. Jeff felt that this was the reason why Taylor had gone AWOL and wasn't responding to anyone because she did not want to be found. He told Cassandra that Taylor would probably be super upset with her for even calling the police and involving them, and that she should probably watch her back because Taylor could be dangerous when provoked. Really? Mm-hmm. That's surprising to me that he wouldn't be the one saying, yeah, call the police, because wouldn't he be so angry at her for stealing that money basically from their son? You would think so, but he was like, do not stir that hornet's nest. Was he scared of her a little bit? It sounded like he might have been. That is an interesting fact. And if she did take that $100,000, that was totally a dirtbag move. Oh, she did take it. Oh, yeah, that's pretty selfish. Yep. Because usually as parents, we're sacrificing and giving everything to our kids, not taking from their care. Right. It sounded like she had taken the money to get back at Jeff. She didn't want Jeff to have the money. Not that she didn't want her son to have it, but that she didn't want it in Jeff's account. And so she was hiding it from him. Okay. It was still money to take care of her son. That's right. So inadvertently, she was stealing from her son. Yeah, you could look at it that way. Cassandra was disturbed by what Jeff had revealed to her. She felt she had known the woman who had just started moving into her house, but now she wasn't so certain. It was true that the two women were still getting to know each other and learn about each other's past, but she felt that she knew Taylor well enough to allow her to move in. 
Cassandra tried to be objective about the situation and come up with reasons why Taylor had ghosted her. They had had their struggles with infidelity, so perhaps it was possible that Taylor had left with somebody else. But all of it just didn't seem to add up. Cassandra felt like they were moving past all of those problems. She was confused and haunted by Taylor's sudden disappearance and Jeff's warnings. She couldn't just let it go. She couldn't focus at work, and she continued to look for Taylor everywhere. You totally would, because this is the woman that you love, you're living with. You can't just be like, oh, okay, she's gone. Yeah, she was in the process of moving into her house, so they were fairly serious. Yeah. Taylor disappearing without a trace didn't seem like the Taylor that she knew, especially not being in contact with her son. That was very unlike her. Mm. Cassandra went back to the police on September 14th and filed a missing persons report, despite Jeff's warnings. She fills them in on everything that she knows about the missing money and about Jeff's warnings. The police are pulled in a few different directions as they start investigating Taylor's disappearance. First, they have the ex, ticked off about the missing money and really doesn't seem that concerned about the mother of his child being missing, and it actually even discouraged the police's involvement. That would be a little suspicious bell going off that he didn't want her to call the police. Mm -hmm. Because now she's waited quite a few days to even let them know that she's missing. And that first little bit after a person goes missing is pretty crucial. Mm -hmm. They also have Cassandra. She seems the most concerned, but we've seen how people fake concern in hopes of appearing innocent. Oh, a lot of people pull that off, too. We've mm -hmm. covered a plethora of cases that way. It's so true. There's the friend who was last seen with Taylor, and then there's always the possibility that Taylor had skipped town on her own accord to avoid going to jail because she hadn't returned the money that she had essentially stolen. Supporting this theory, when Taylor was entered into the missing person's database and media reports were made asking for information about her disappearance, people started calling in tips and sightings. On September 15th, the police followed up with Taylor's friend Ashley because she was the last person known to be seen with Taylor. Her story seems to check out and match what Cassandra has told them. Ashley seems forthcoming about her and Taylor's activities on the 8th. She picked up Taylor from Cassandra's on the morning of the 8th, and they had gone and collected the money that Taylor had given Ashley for safekeeping. Was that the whole $100,000? It wasn't the whole 100000 So she literally went into the bank and took out that money in cash? Yes, cash and traveler's checks. Taylor had taken the money from her and Jeff's account without him knowing and had distributed large sums of it in cash and traveler's checks to different friends for safekeeping. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. You would think that a bank would have some kind of regulation about someone draining an account that size. Especially a joint account. That's what I mean. Without the other person on the account okaying it. But as long as your name's on the account, you have the right to that money. It's true. On September 8th, Taylor had asked for the money back and Ashley had returned the portion that she had been given. Cassandra had told the police that she believed Ashley and Taylor were headed to the bank to get this money from the safety deposit box. But when they questioned Ashley about it, she denied knowing anything about a safety deposit box. But she was upfront about the money, saying that she had just kept it personally and returned it. After she gave the money back, they went for a horseback ride to calm Taylor down and clear her head because she was still really agitated with everything that was going on. In the late afternoon, they had headed back to Ashley's house. When they got there, Taylor hadn't come inside, instead opting to catch an Uber to go and get a beer. She had left with the money in a duffel bag around 5 p.m. that night. 
That's a lot of money to be hauling around in a duffel bag, especially to go and get a beer. Mm-hmm. Ashley willingly cooperates with the investigation and theorizes with the police about what might have happened to Taylor. She is comfortable with the police questioning and even jokes around. She appears to be in her element, which isn't a big surprise because she is familiar with police work. She is a former crime scene investigator and is married to a PI who was once a police officer as well, just like Taylor. That's how the two of them had run in the same circles and gotten to know each other the year before. Ashley openly tells the police about Taylor's recent erratic behavior and relays that Taylor has been in multiple relationships recently and was feeling the need to get her life sorted out. She sums up Taylor being missing by saying it's just Taylor being Taylor and that she really doesn't think anything has happened to her friend because Taylor was a girl who could protect herself. About Taylor, Ashley told the police, quote, she always comes across as being tough. She's always carrying weapons, whether it's knives or guns or whatever. She's not an easy target. And she's trained. Yeah, she was a police officer and now she works as a private investigator. In Ashley's theorizing, she elaborates on what could be the reason Taylor had not been in contact with Cassandra. The two had been fighting because Cassandra had been seeing another woman. Oh. The two women were trying to patch things up with Taylor moving into Cassandra's place but Ashley tells police even that wasn't going as smoothly as Cassandra let on. Yeah, when you're having those kind of problems in a relationship, taking an extra step forward is maybe not going to solve it. No. You might have to patch the things previous to that before leaping forward. Right. You need a solid foundation. Right. But it sounds like they were maybe grasping at straws to try and fix this. It does sound like that. Cassandra wasn't too happy about the amount of Taylor's stuff that she was moving into her house. <laughs> And on the 11th had demanded that Ashley come and clear some of it out because she was ticked off that Taylor still hadn't returned. Cassandra isn't necessarily this loving, super worried person. No, she first cheated on her, wants her to move in with her, is upset that she's bringing so much stuff when she's moving in. And now that they can't find her, she's just frustrated. Mm -hmm. And she wants all of her stuff gone. She's like, okay, you took off telling your friends, come and get all of her stuff. Which would be understandable if this person did ghost you. Right. You would want it gone. Mm -hmm. So I guess we can't judge too harshly. No. And if you're being told by the person's ex that, you know, you need to watch out for her, maybe you are a little bit leery of maybe she is a danger. Right. And if you're already stepping out on her, maybe you really are ready for the relationship to end. Mm -hmm. Cassandra had also recently discovered that Taylor had been using cocaine and had confronted her about it and Taylor's lying. So the relationship was not going as smoothly as what Cassandra was telling police. But in her defense, I don't know if I would go into the police and air all my dirty laundry. If you're trying to find somebody, wouldn't you want the police to know everything so that they have the best chance of tracking that person down? Yeah, but it would be hard to know what was pertinent. That's true. Police reached out to Jeff. It was natural for him to become a suspect. And police say he was their initial focus for the investigation. The husband's always the first suspect. Oh, yeah. He would be the first one that I would think, especially not only did he get custody, but then she took all the money. Mm hmm. He definitely would have motive. Yep. Jeff worked for the United States Department of Defense in Alabama, and he had been married to Taylor for 10 years. Jeff told police that their son Drake had been trying to contact his mom, but hadn't heard from her. Jeff denied knowing where Taylor was. He had remarried shortly after the couple split and appeared to be moving on with his life just as Taylor was moving on with hers. He told police that Taylor had a history of being violent, 
and that he felt that she had taken off because of the missing money. And if anyone wanted to hide, Taylor would be a person that could do it. She was a PI after all. That's true. Jeff, too, was forthcoming about how he felt about his ex-wife and about his whereabouts the day that Taylor disappeared. When police follow up on this, his alibi actually checks out. Next, the police look into Cassandra. On Cassandra's phone, they find evidence that she was in fact very angry with Taylor the day she disappeared. After she had been stood up for dinner and told that Taylor needed some time, she had responded angrily and told Taylor not to bother coming home because Cassandra was fed up with all of her lies. Police search Cassandra's home and find no signs of foul play at the house, but they do find Taylor's ID, a passport, and a $19,000 cashier's check. They also find a six-shooter revolver with a chamber loaded with only five bullets. Ooh, that's not looking good for Cassandra. No. With this finding, police start taking Taylor's disappearance very seriously. A woman just didn't go run off without her ID. And even if she did do that, you'd figure that she would have taken all the money she had access to. But yeah, $19,000 is not a little bit of change that you're just going to leave in the bedside table drawer. No, going on the lamb is expensive. You would take every bit of cash that you had with yeah. you. Cassandra tells police that the gun is one that she had just decided to purchase for protection after listening to Jeff's stories about how mad Taylor was going to be and how violent she had been in the past. Okay. The police are thinking exactly how you are. A missing bullet from a jilted lover's gun is just too suspicious for the police. And they start to doubt that Taylor is voluntarily missing. Police apply to get access to Taylor's cell phone records and start tracing the path of all this missing money that everybody's talking about. Yeah. But if it is her, why wouldn't she hide that $19,000? And maybe this is one of those things where you would think, why wouldn't you just put a new bullet back in there? Why leave it with one gone? (laughs) So true. When Taylor's phone records are finally able to be reviewed weeks later, police find that her phone's location doesn't match up with where Ashley had said the two had been that day. Police compare the location data from Ashley's phone, which she had voluntarily shared with them during the first interview, and the two cell phone locations match up with each other, but not with Ashley's original story. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Ashley had told the police that the two had gone horseback riding at her family's farm in East Milton, yet Taylor's phone had pinged off a tower in the Beulah area. Beulah was 30 to 40 minutes in the opposite direction on the west side of Pensacola. Why would she lie about where they were? Well, this discrepancy in what had been Ashley's pretty believable story now moves her into the top suspect spot. Was Ashley and Taylor having an affair? There are some rumors about that, but it was never substantiated. Hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. Along with the fact that the police have yet to track down the Uber that Taylor took from Ashley's house, police are now looking at Ashley very suspiciously. Ashley Britt MacArthur was born on August 22nd, 1977 to Rhonda Ritchie and John Britt. It is Ashley because you're telling me about her backstory. That's right. Rhonda and John had married two years previous, and Ashley was the only child that the couple had together. John had four children from his previous marriage, but Ashley was raised to be the princess of the family. The family was well off and ran several successful business adventures, the most prominent one being Pensacola Automatic Amusement, Inc. The company owned jukeboxes, pool tables, and other different box games that they rented out to other establishments for a share of the profits. According to extended family members, Ashley was raised to believe that because of their wealth, 
Her family and she were above all others, and generally the rules of society. Oh, a spoiled little rich kid. Mm-hmm. Material things were very important to her, more important than people. She sought out her own entertainment and wants at the expense of others. Whatever she wanted, she made sure she got. So was she after Taylor's money? Yes. Oh, that's not even a ton of money to kill your friend. Well, and she didn't get the whole 100000 Oh, yeah, because 19000 of it is sitting in Cassandra's house. Yeah, Taylor had spread it out among several people. In 2001, Ashley had attended the University of West Florida, where she earned a degree in forensic science and technology. She worked briefly in the field from approximately June to November of 2006 for the Escambia County Sheriff's Office as a crime scene investigator. After a short time, she determined the work just wasn't for her, and she resigned voluntarily. Following a car accident in 2010 that left her with ongoing back pain, she became more active in her family's business. In her personal life, Ashley moved through relationships quickly, and by the age of 39, she had been through several husbands. It was actually a feat tracking her through all of her different name changes. Several. Yeah, I think it was around six. <laughs> At the time of Taylor's disappearance, Ashley was married to Zachary MacArthur, a former police officer turned PI that she had met while working at the police department, and the two raised Ashley's daughter from a previous relationship. The two had been married in 2014, but maintained an open relationship for casual flings with other people. This lifestyle suited Ashley well because the affairs that she frequently had in the past weren't a big problem for Zach. It was a match made in heaven, I guess. I guess so. This is totally giving me the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Vibes. Oh, <laughs> I haven't read that one. Oh, it's a good one, listeners. If you haven't, it's a do recommend. Except she's not a dirtbag. It's just a good read. <laughs> Ashley handled the couple's finances, and Zach did his PI stuff and did all the heavy lifting around the house because of Ashley's bad back. As police dig into Ashley and Zach's finances, they discover that on August 16th, a cashier's check of Taylor's worth 34000 was deposited into Ashley's bank account. This was some of the money that Taylor had given Ashley to keep safe and hide from Jeff. She deposited it into her own account? Yep. Just a day after that deposit, Ashley had begun to make withdrawals from the account. Previous to the deposit of this check, Ashley's account only had $30 in it. Oh, sounds like mine. <laughs> <laughs> her very first transaction the day after the deposit was made was for $9,000. Oh, what did she buy? A handbag? No, she was paying off her own credit cards. Oh. But that's not a little amount that she's already stealing from her friend. No, it's not. She even continued to move Taylor's money into her own account after Taylor had disappeared. Police learned that the $34,000 was not the only money that Taylor had entrusted Ashley with, and that Ashley and Zach's finances were not in great shape. And this was really shocking, since Zach had just received an insurance settlement for over $40,000 just months before in March. Oh, do you know what it was for? Yeah, he had been in a car accident and received a settlement from it. Okay. But if she's a chronic spender, they're probably in a good sum of debt. Mm-hmm. She had just blown through all of this money. As police dug into the finances, they uncovered transaction after transaction that revealed that Ashley had been very shady with her money dealings. She had used the money to pay off her personal and business credit cards, and even more shockingly, had been using large portions of the money to buy her piece on the side, Brandon Beatty, a motorcycle, and a boat. What? 
Mm-hmm. A motorcycle and a boat? Yes. I was just about to say, well, that was very responsible of her to try and pay off her debts. But then she's giving her side piece these grandiose gifts. Uh-huh. Brandon was a convicted felon and had no problem using Ashley for the perks. Ashley had been supporting Brandon's own business, a bar and pool hall called Sticks, where she frequently hung out with her friends. So she was paying his business expenses. Wow, I was not expecting that from Ashley. No. Nope. <laughs> to have this whole other little relationship on the side. But she just was in love with Brandon. She thought he was the bee's knees and... But she stayed married to her husband. Oh, yeah. But they had this open relationship. True. Well, that's right. I forgot about that. But Zach did say that this was not part of the understanding of their open relationship. That you can have a boyfriend, but you can't buy him a boat? That's right. He said that their agreement about their relationship only covered casual flings and not in-depth relationships that would involve these kinds of gifts. <laughs> wild. I was just thinking, if you were in an open relationship, what would be your limit? Like, what would your husband not be allowed to buy his side piece? <laughs> don't know what the answer to that would be. (laughs) But they had this agreement that, yeah, you could go out and have sex with whoever. It just couldn't be a relationship. And Zach felt like, wait a minute, if you're buying him these great big huge things, if you're supporting his business, this is not a casual fling. No, that is definitely a relationship. Mm -hmm. So he felt betrayed. Yeah. By 2017, Ashley's spending had gotten so far out of control that she had actually started stealing from customers and her family's business, and had blown through all of her husband's insurance settlement. Ooh. And this was all so she could just flaunt how much money she had. Taylor, like Zach, had been completely unaware of Ashley's financial situation when she asked her to hold on to a large sum of her stolen money for safekeeping. Oh my goodness. This is quite the situation that we're in. There's money moving around for everybody. Well, and everyone's just stealing money. Mm Mm-hmm. When Taylor had asked for the money back weeks before her disappearance, Ashley had continually given her the runaround about being so busy that they could never find a time to go to the bank together to retrieve the money from the safety deposit box that had never really existed. Taylor, in the days leading up to September 8th, had been frantic to try and get the money back to return to the courts. So she was trying to do the right thing after the fact. Mm Mm-hmm. When Ashley kept giving her the runaround to give the cash back, Taylor had had to petition the courts for more time to return the money. But Ashley's already started spending it. Mm-hmm. But I can't help but think she must have been so relieved that morning on the 8th when Ashley finally agreed to pick her up and go collect the money at the bank. Right. So Taylor did the wrong thing by stealing the money, but she was wanting to do the right thing now, make amends, return it, and try to restore some of these bridges that she's burned. Yeah. And she couldn't because Ashley had already spent the money. Oh, no. Police secured warrants to search three of Ashley's family's farms around the Pensacola area on October 19th simultaneously. The same morning, they asked Ashley to voluntarily come back in for questioning, which she agreed to do. Once she was in the interrogation room, the searches were executed. I'm actually shocked that she just didn't ask her family for the money. They have this huge, successful business. Why did she need to steal it? We're going to still dig deep into some of her transactions with her family's business. Okay, because she was stealing from them, you had said. Yeah, she was stealing from them as well. So maybe she felt like she couldn't take more from them because she was already taking so much from them. Wow. During the second interrogation, Ashley's demeanor is much different than her first interview. 
As police let her know, they have found some discrepancies in her story, and they have some questions about why her phone and Taylor's phone showed up at a different location than where she had originally said they were. So police just lay it all out on the line. Ashley's phone records never showed her in the area of her family's property in East Milton. Instead, her phone showed her in the area of Beulah on September 8th from 11.52 a.m. until 1.44 p.m., and then again at 2.40 to 3.33. This was in the same area where Ashley's family owned another property, a property that she hadn't talked about at all during the first interview. Oh, she conveniently left it out. Mm -hmm. While the search was being conducted at 2206 Britt Road, where the phones had pinged, Ashley lawyered up within an hour of the second interrogation starting. On October 19th, just a short time after Ashley was released from questioning, skeletonized remains were found in a shallow grave next to the Brits' family property line in a wooded area. Oh. The body was covered in cement and potting soil. And how long had this been since she'd been missing? She had went missing on September 8th, and it's now October 19th. Oh, and she was already decomposed that much. Mm-hmm. Dental records confirmed that the remains were Taylor's. But that seemed to be only a formality because investigators at the scene were fairly certain that it was her because they had found a distinct bullet necklace matted in the hair at the scene. And this was on the picture that they were using to find Taylor. Okay, so it was a necklace she wore often. Mm -hmm. Taylor had a single gunshot wound to the back of her head. A single entrance wound was clearly visible at the scene and no exit wound would be identified. The trajectory of the bullet indicated that she had never seen her friend raise the gun to end her life. Ashley was arrested that day and charged with second-degree murder and originally held on a $1 million bond. When arrested, the dirtbag showed no emotion. She just asked police why she was being arrested because she didn't do anything. During the first interview, it's actually so maddening that she almost flirts with the detectives. Ooh, really? Because mm -hmm. she's acting like one of them because she's been this former crime scene investigator and she's all buddy-buddy. She knows what they're talking about and they're joking around about this person that supposedly she cares about is missing. Ooh. Yeah. So she's trying to behave like, hey, we're on the same team. Yeah. And disarm them from thinking anything suspicious about her. Wow. The charges against Ashley would later be upgraded to first-degree murder and the bond would be revoked. As police collected more witness statements. Shockingly, though, in February of 2018, despite the public and Taylor's family's outrage, Ashley was released on a bond of only 400000 with the conditions that she live with her mother and agree to GPS monitoring until the trial. What? Mm -hmm. They went from a million to 400000 Well, they went from a million to not being able to have any bond to now you just need 400000 and have to be in your mom's care with the GPS monitor. Yeah. What the heck was happening with that? I think it was because their family was quite influential. Oh. Her mother vouched for her and said that she could stay at her home in Gulf Breeze and that she would continue to work for the family business despite now being brought up on fraud charges for stealing from the company's customers. Oh. Digging into Ashley's past had revealed even more financial woes and suspicions about her. All of Ashley's kept-up appearances were coming crashing down under the weight of her lies and crimes, and after enjoying another year of relative freedom, in January of 2019, Ashley's bond was yet again revoked. 
It was revoked this time because she was found guilty of racketeering and organized fraud and sentenced to seven years in prison. Ooh. So this is all while she's awaiting her murder trial to begin. Ashley had stolen more than $13,000 over a two-year period from customers by lying about the proceeds that were earned by the rented jukeboxes and pool tables. Oh. Instead of following the profit-sharing contracts, Ashley had been skimming money off the top and only splitting the proceeds from cash in the machines and not any from the app or the credit card earnings. Ashley had also been charged with arson during the same trial, but acquitted of that charge because there wasn't enough physical evidence that could link her to the fire that started at the company's business location. Suspiciously, a fire at the family's business on North Pace Boulevard had been purposely set on June 8, 2017, the same day that a meeting was scheduled to confront Ashley about the alleged fraud charges. Ashley allegedly had not activated the alarm when she had left the business at 10 p.m. on June 7. On June 8th, at 3.35, the business's eight alarms had activated simultaneously. When the alarm company contacted Ashley's mum, Rhonda, she had said that it was probably just a false alarm and cancelled the police from checking out the location. Oh, so this was three in the morning. Mm-hmm. That is odd. If you get a call in the middle of the night that the alarms are going off at your business, who in their right mind is going to say, oh, don't worry about it, I'm sure it's nothing? There's never a better opportunity for it to be something than three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that the mom knew? Well, there's nothing that says that in particular because these charges would be dismissed. But curiously, just before 10 a.m. on June 8th, Ashley placed a call to 911 to report a fire at the business, saying that she had just arrived and found haze and black smoke marks on the office door. She said her mom had asked her to check on the building. But Rhonda had later said that she never had asked Ashley to check on the building. Oh, so maybe she's not covering for her daughter then. It was hard to tell, but Rhonda's name came up in both of those aspects. Hmm. At 10.45 a.m., Ashley called to cancel her meeting about the suspected fraud, saying that she had had a personal issue. Rather convenient. When canine units were called to investigate the fire, the forensic fire investigator intentionally told Ashley about some of the spots for accelerant that he had found but not all of them. Ashley then suspiciously told the investigator that she thought the fire had started in a completely different area. This area was one of the spots that the canine had alerted to, but the investigator had intentionally not told her about. Uh, so this was one of those times when she was trying to act like, oh, I'm like one of you guys. I'm going to show you how good I am at my job and saying, oh, I think it maybe started over there. Exactly. But she had actually identified one of the areas that the fire started. And she knew that because she started the fire. Mm -hmm. Well, allegedly. She was never charged. Allegedly. Yeah. The fire was in the portion of the building that interestingly held all the financial records pertaining to the fraud allegations. Oh, how convenient. Mm -hmm. Despite the suspicions, though, a lack of physical evidence at the scene let Ashley avoid the arson charges in November. What? Mm -hmm. They had all this circumstantial evidence, but they didn't have enough physical evidence to actually charge her with it. Well, and it's the family business, so it would be plausible that her DNA would be all over the place. Mm -hmm. Wow. And no security cameras? Nope. It was all taken care of. Wow. Lack of physical evidence was also proving to be a problem with Ashley's murder charges as well. No. Mm-hmm. 
the only evidence that the prosecution had against Ashley was circumstantial. They had a lot of circumstantial evidence, but that just doesn't hold the same weight as physical evidence, and they couldn't find any. Police had caught her lying about her location the day of the disappearance, and about the money that Taylor had given her for safekeeping. They could also prove, through Taylor's cell phone records, that Taylor's phone had been in the same location as Ashley's phone on September 9th when she attended a wedding in Alabama with her husband, Zach, and no one had seen Taylor at this wedding. Was she in the trunk? No, they think that Ashley had just kept Taylor's phone with her. Sorry, that was really dumb of me. (laughs) She had taken the phone with her so that she could continue texting people, making up this story about how Ashley had taken off. Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Police had witness statements that Ashley had confirmed with her cousin Kyle, who was staying at the farm on Britt Road, that no one would be around on the 8th or the 9th when she planned to be there, giving her ample time to deal with the body alone. They had statements that Ashley had made to Brandon about Taylor not ever being able to be found, and a local bartender and another friend saying that they heard Ashley say that, quote, she said she was going to put cocaine in Taylor's beer, and she said that the world would be better if Taylor wasn't here, and that she wasn't a good person. What? Mm -hmm. So she was going to try to overdose her? Yeah, that sounds like that was her original plan. Okay. There were also multiple reports of Ashley being a gun enthusiast and owning several guns that could match the type of bullet that was found. Police even had surveillance footage from September 9th at 1.07pm of Taylor purchasing fast-setting concrete and potting soil from the Home Depot and getting one of the workers to help her load the bags into her vehicle. Oh my goodness, she really did not think she was going to get caught. No. Unfortunately, though, This was all circumstantial and hearsay. Police could find no physical evidence at the scene that linked Ashley there at all. They couldn't connect that it was the same type of soil or... They didn't. Concrete? No. Which I found surprising of why they wouldn't run those tests. I thought the exact same thing. They also said that the bullet and the body had been exposed to the elements for so long that it had erased all valuable evidence that they would have been able to collect, and it made it impossible to match the bullet to a specific gun. So they could tell the make and the model of the gun, but they weren't able to actually match it to a specific gun. There was no physical evidence anywhere to connect her to the crime, which, if you think about it, being a former crime scene investigator... Isn't that shocking that she would be able to make sure any of the physical evidence that she was familiar with collecting wouldn't be there? Right. Or even knowing how to leave the body so that she would decompose fast and the elements would get to it. Right. But she wasn't as familiar with all of the other ways that people investigate the crime scene or track people's whereabouts. And so she didn't think of any of that evidence. Wow. She just focused on the crime scene, which makes sense since that's what she did for a living for a while. Right. In a bold move, the state's prosecution chose to go forward with the trial based solely on circumstantial evidence. It's pretty damning circumstantial evidence. It is. It all adds up. It really does. Even the fact that the body was found right next to one of their properties. Mm Mm-hmm. During the trial, the defense repeatedly, though, pointed out the lack of hard evidence against Ashley and made sure to keep pointing out that Ashley and Zach were doing bathroom renos and landscaping at the time, explaining the reason why Ashley had purchased concrete and potting soil. The defense also brought up her bad back and the theory that Ashley would have been unable to carry a 50-pound bag of cement to a remote property line. 
They also kept trying to bring up Taylor's questionable behavior and mental stability, trying to slander her memory to prove that the jury couldn't be sure that Ashley was the only person to have motive to kill Taylor. Oh, I hate when they victim blame as a defense. Yeah, it's such a dirtbag thing to do. The prosecution's case showed Ashley's deception over and over again. She had lied to everyone. Brandon had thought she had had tons of money to be a sugar mama. Zach had believed that Ashley was taking care of their money and was just helping Taylor move when she borrowed his truck. And that when he had asked her to meet for lunch that day, he had believed that she was at work when she said she was just too busy. I honestly feel bad for the guy, but I have to question his instincts as a PI. Yeah, but it's hard when you're talking about the person that you love. We don't want to see the worst in the people that mean the most to us. It's true, but it took him a while to actually connect the dots. Yeah, because you would think it could go on the flip side where because he's a PI, he might be hyper-focused and paying attention. Mm -hmm. But he just seems so oblivious to the whole fact that she was even blowing through all of his money. He's like, oh, I didn't even pay attention to our bank accounts. I just had a bank card. Interesting. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting. Unfortunately, Cassandra had thought that Ashley was her friend. Ashley had even tried comforting her through Taylor's disappearance. Even her cousin Kyle had thought that Ashley was just being nice to include him in her plans because he was new to the area. Oh, man. Yeah. Little did any of them know, Ashley was just a dirtbag that was using all of them for her own purposes. The prosecution laid out the case that it was clear that Ashley's motive for murder had been money and her self-centered attitude. On day four of the trial, August 3rd, 2019, Ashley was found guilty of first-degree premeditated murder with a firearm of her friend Taylor Wright and sentenced to life in prison with mandatory 25 years to be served behind bars. Wow. It took the jury only two hours to reach a verdict. Considering that the evidence was circumstantial, the fact that the trial only lasted four days and they only deliberated for two hours, that's pretty remarkable. Mm Mm-hmm. The judge on this case, I have to say, was very hardcore about her timelines. Right from the beginning of the trial, she set this crazy timeline and she kept everyone on schedule. It was intense to watch. She instructed witnesses to only answer brief statements and not ramble on or explain their answers. And then she had both sides give her specific time frames that they would need for their closing arguments and then strictly held them to it. Wow, she was efficient. She was. She's like, we are not wasting these jurors' time. And that's how it only lasted four days. Wow. It was very interesting to watch. After the trial, Cassandra did say, quote, we got the verdict we had been waiting for for two years. We finally got the justice that Taylor deserved. On April 16th, 2021, Ashley's first appeal of her verdict was rejected. The 43-year-old is currently serving her sentence at Lowell Correction Institution, also known as Lowell Annex. The Annex is a woman's prison that has a capacity to house 1,500 inmates, just northwest of Orlando. And that is the case of betrayal that led the selfish, greedy dirtbag Ashley MacArthur to murder her friend who had entrusted her with her money. Wow. What a spoiled dirtbag. Mm-hmm. Such a senseless murder. Just for nothing at all. Yeah, for what? Paying off some bills, buying a boat, getting a handbag? Yeah. Since the trial, there have been many that wondered if Ashley did have an accomplice burying Taylor's body. Because throughout the trial, they kept bringing up this bad back and she couldn't carry things. And so I found it interesting that they're like, well, maybe her PI husband did help her. 
or maybe her convict boyfriend. Or she even had this homeless person that she would pay to do odd jobs for her. And maybe he helped her. There was all of these other questions about maybe she didn't do it all by herself. And maybe that's what the boat and the motorcycle were for. Payment. Maybe. Who knows? But it doesn't mean he was that big of a dirtbag. No, it doesn't. (laughs) And I did think afterwards that there were ATVs and side-by-sides at the farm that she could have just pulled it onto one of those and then driven it to the property line. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. And just because your back hurts doesn't mean that you actually physically can't do something. That's true. It's amazing what a determined dirtbag is capable of. And she had definitely proven that she was a dirtbag. And we've learned that there's no shortage of those. Absolutely. In fact, I'll be back next week with another dirtbag case. Until then, see ya. Bye. Testing, testing. Um, what do I want to say for testing, Christy? How much you love me. <laughs> I don't know about that. She's sick of looking at my face, oh. you guys. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious how many people were like, let's see your faces. I'm like, no. <laughs> faces for radio people. That's right. That's why we do podcasts instead of YouTube. <laughs> people are going to finally see our picture and be like, oh, yeah, they weren't kidding. <laughs> Okay, we're testing again. This is not going to be good. Oh, man. We're both overtired. It'll be okay, though. Okay. So she kills her husband and fakes her own death? No. Oh. I'm like, I won't put that in there. (laughs) That she believed. What did she believe, Melissa? Hold on. (laughs) Ramsey! We're almost done, Ramsey. Just hang on there, buddy. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.